Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for he is good. Sing to his name, for it's pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel, as its own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Those are verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 135, which is, along with Psalm 134, are the psalms appointed for today, Thursday, August the 18th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We had finished up with the book of Judges yesterday, so today we move into the book of Job, which is more or less nobody's favorite book. But um, I've come to find it a comforting and a consoling um, book in in this time of my life. We're going to begin the uh, study of there with the first 22 verses of the first chapter, also continuing in the gospel according to John chapter 6 verses 17 to, or 16 to 27, and then in the book of the Acts of the Apostles chapter 8 verses 26 to 40. So we we get the backstory on this and 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 other people don't, including Job. <laughs> he doesn't have the backstory for how we get how this stuff happens to him. So there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Now Uz was the name of one of Haran, uh, the this um, brother of um, Abraham, one of his children. But we're not sure exactly where this land is. This Uz. It could be in um, uh, Syria or Jordan. Or it could be up near the Euphrates, up near Babylon. And that seems to be the context here, that, that it seems to be in this northern kind of location up around the Euphrates. So there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. Now that makes him different from Noah, uh, because Noah was blameless and upright in his generation. So compared to the other people that lived at the time he did, he was righteous. Job, we're told, was blameless and upright. We're told that the man didn't have sin, one who feared God and turned away from evil. I mean, these are the, the, the highest um, tra- character traits, um, religious character traits at least, that you could want to ascribe to you. So there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had six or 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was all was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So the ten of them would gather together on birthdays. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So he... Job wanted to make sure that his children were covered, and so he offered sacrifices on their behalf after they got together uh, and had these feasts. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and the, the Satan also came among them. Now, the, the, the is not in most translations, but it, it, it's Satan is um, not a proper noun. Not a proper noun. It, it is a title. It's not a name. So here it's, it's Hasatan. So the, it's the, the Satan also came among them. Now, it begs the question here, and the, the Satan here, and the sons of God, who are these people? Now, the sons of God, we have some um, back, 
story for because in Genesis 6, 1 to 4, we see that the sons of God uh, discovered that the daughters of men were beautiful. So the sons of God are angels. So that's who these sons of God are. And so the Satan was among them. So he's one of them. This is before what we see as his fall from grace. And so his job is to tempt people, humankind, and to be their accuser before God. So the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? The Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. It Obviously, his job was to patrol the earth and see what's going on. And the Lord said to the Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? So God drew attention to him and says, Have you seen this guy? And then he, he lists those characteristics of Job, that he's blameless and upright and he fears God and eschews evil. So the Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to his face, to your face. So he's presuming here that the reason that Job loves God is strictly because God blesses him. God gives him stuff. Of course he loves you. Look at all the things you do for him. Take all that away and see how it goes, though. He'll curse you to your face. I think I know something about human nature here. That's exactly what he's trying to say. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So the Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So he was given permission to do certain things, but, but he was not given permission to go beyond certain boundaries. He can, he can touch all that he has, but not the man himself. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a message to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So, in other words, he's losing his oxen and his donkeys here and his servants. <clears throat> While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Holy moly, everything's getting destroyed today. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans, this is the reason I say this is probably up near Babylon because the Chaldeans are involved um, in their Babylonian. So the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So it's just continuing disaster after disaster. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating, drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they're dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So he's lost everything. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Didn't see that coming, did you? I mean, he's in mourning. But he he tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. In other words, I came into this world with nothing and I'm going to go out of this world with nothing. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So 
there was a great temptation, obviously, to charge God with wrong in the taking of all that he had. But what he's recognizing here is, is that I didn't get anything that God didn't give me. This is all his blessing. And so it's his to give and it's his to take. And that's an attitude that that is um, commendable, let's say. It's a very commendable attitude to have towards things, even if those things include sentient beings, even if those things include your own children. And so Job here passes the first test. In the gospel today, we get remember that Jesus had just fed the 5,000 the day before. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum because Jesus had told them to do so. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they'd rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It's I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So as soon as he got in the boat, they got to the land. Um, and so this is, I've told you this before, William Barclay, who um, was an Anglican priest, he was, he was British, um, wrote a series of um, commentaries on the New Testament. They were popular commentaries back in the day. Um, but Barclay didn't believe in anything supernatural. So what he believed happened here was Jesus was walking near the sea. He wasn't on the sea. He was walking near the sea. Uh, the story, what, what would be the point of telling a story if that were the case? And, and again, Jesus is, if he's walking near the sea and he he's, gets on the boat and then they immediately come to land, what was the point of any of that? But that's Barclay's thing, and, and he also, in this sixth chapter, had said that the, um, the people um, had their own food, but they weren't going to share it until Jesus um, blessed the little bit that he had, and then they all shared their stuff, because um, he doesn't, again, doesn't believe in the miraculous, doesn't believe in anything supernatural. What's the point? I mean, the reason that those people were following him, as John tells us, is because they saw the miracles and the healings that were done on the sick. So they're following Jesus, and they come to the conclusion that he's the prophet because he provided food for them out of scarcity, and then they wanted to make him king. Well, none of that works if all he did was get them to share. That, that just doesn't make any sense. But you can't strip the miraculous out and still have Jesus. You end up with only a great teacher. And yes, he was a great teacher, but he wasn't only a great teacher. And that's a huge plot point, <laughs> if you're not aware of that. I mean, they decided that day that he was either the prophet that Moses said was to come after him, or they decided that he was the king, one or the other. And it's highly unlikely they would have decided that simply because of his teaching. It had to have been because he was also doing the things John tells us about. And John is at pains to tell us that these things are the signs that pointed to Jesus' true divinity. And therefore, these are the, he chose these in order that we would um, come to faith. Not just in Jesus as a teacher, but in Jesus as the Messiah of God. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus wasn't there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. They didn't know where he was, so they went looking for him. And remember, these are pilgrims. They're headed to Jerusalem for the Passover feast that's coming up. When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs. And again, the importance of signs is truly important because it points to who he is. It gives them a clue to the messianic identity. And so he says, you're not looking for that, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You just want more food. That's the only reason you're actually here. Not because you want to follow me, not because you want to believe in me, but because you want me to feed you again. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life. And again, that's that's a quote almost directly from Isaiah 55, um, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father has set his seal. So, So desire the heavenly bread, desire the heavenly food, desire that. Don't work for all this other stuff. Work for the stuff that lasts. Sort of like, you know, Job says, naked I came into the world, naked I'll leave the world. And so you're not going to take any of this stuff with you. So so it, it's best if you go ahead and, and decide now what's truly important. And what's truly important is that stuff which lasts into eternity. And so it's, it, it's the thing that we need to set our lives on and our sights on. It, it's not the stuff of earth, he's saying. He said, no, 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 look for the for the greater thing than that. And so he's encouraging them to come to him and receive the food that lasts in the same way that, that he encouraged the Samaritan woman at the well to seek after that water that only he could provide. In the epistle, we, we see Philip, remember he had been in Samaria and he'd seen a great harvest there. The apostles came out, laid hands on the people and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go down toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's told, just get onto that road, and then we're told this is a desert place. That's what Luke adds to it. And he, Philip, rose and went. He, he did what he was commanded to do. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Now, he, he's in Jerusalem. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So this eunuch from Ethiopia, and, and we don't know if it's modern-day Ethiopia or, or another place, because there, there's a Candace who is um, not, a, not an Ethiopian proper, but, but from an area between Egypt and Israel that was also kind of known as Ethiopia. That's where the Candaces were. So anyway, she, she was a queen, and he was in charge of all her treasure. And so he's come down to worship. Well, now, is he a proselyte? No, he can't be. He can be a worshiper of God, but he can't be a proselyte because he's a eunuch. And therefore, he can't be circumcised. You can't circumcise what ain't there. So anyway, he this eunuch can't become a Jewish convert. So he's limited where he can be. Now, there, will, there are uh, passages certainly in Isaiah that talks about eunuchs, that, that they'll come into the kingdom of God um, at a later date under Messiah, so that, that, that everything will change, and God will give them a name which will not be cut off, that, that, that this dry tree will have a name that won't be cut off, which is exactly what would happen with a eunuch. His name would cut, be cut off from the earth after his death because he left no progeny. So there's a place for the eunuchs to come in later into the covenant through the Messiah. But he can't come in until. So he came, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So he was in the right place at the right time, and now he's told to go catch up with this chariot. So he ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? I need a teacher. 
This stuff's not self-explanatory. I can't understand it on its own. I'm reading it, attempting to understand, but I can't because somebody has to teach me. I need a rabbi. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So Jesus likewise had no children of his own, took no wife. And so who can describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And so what is that implying? And that that implies that this whole passage from Isaiah implies that Jesus did exactly as the prophet said he would do which is to say, I'm not going to make a defense. I'm just going to allow my life to be taken. I'm laying down my life willingly and of my own accord. So it was a choice that Jesus made to do this very thing. And so now when he reads, when he, the the eunuch is reading this, he said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this or about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus, which is exactly what Jesus did with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They they thought that he was dead, and then he went through scripture explaining how it was necessary that the Messiah come and die for sin uh, and go to the cross. And he explains it all, and then how he must be resurrected again on the third day. And so that's exactly what Philip does here. He begins with the premise of a sheep being led to slaughter. And then he goes from there and tells all the good news about Jesus. So his, his cross and the efficacy of his cross to take away sin, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to show that his, his uh, sacrifice was accepted, and then ultimately his ascension into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us sinners who are still in this life. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So he had this visitation from God that God arranged in the person of Philip because Philip had been faithful and obedient to go to Samaria and spread the good news there and see the harvest that, that was promised. In the first place, Jesus told him to go once they got you know, sort of out of Jerusalem and Judea. Then he goes to Samaria and he sees this. And because of that, then the Lord uses him again here. Now, the question is begged, right? Because this guy says he needs a teacher. Well, does he continue to need a teacher? Or did this baptism confer the Holy Spirit? We're not told. We're not told what happened here, but we do know that he rejoiced, and we do know that Christianity flourished in the area where this man was for a long, long time. It persevered in ways that it didn't in other places during um, sort of the the Muslimification of, of that region. And so we know that this man would have been the first convert And he can convert because it only requires baptism for him to come into the new covenant. And so it's an exciting moment. He can fully participate now in the covenant community in a way that he couldn't do before. And so now he knows that the scripture has been fulfilled. And so he knows also that he will be known by God. And he will indeed have children, and they will be spiritual children, the ones that he teaches, the ones that he witnesses to, and they will owe it to him as their father in the faith. And so the Lord has used this eunuch then to spread the gospel and to to produce many offspring.
for the Lord. It's an, it's an exciting thing to see that God chose this eunuch to be his message bearer back to his own people. And he chose him because he was there to worship the Lord. He came up to do this and it was rewarded. His faithfulness was rewarded and the Lord brought him into the covenant community through the baptism that Philip did. But Philip found himself at Azotus and he passed as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So the Lord picked him up and moved him from that place to another place. He moved him first down to the, this region, and then he takes him out of there and gives him another mission field into which he can speak. We need to be in the right place at the right time. We need to have our minds set on the kingdom of heaven. We need to, to, to get out of the mindset of uh, financial world and everything else and, and the material world being the things that control us and, and allowing our appetites to, to dictate. And we need to be able to see beyond that to, in the same way that Job did here to the one who is the giver of all good gifts and, and to see his mercy and his goodness. And all we have to do is be obedient and he'll take us to the places that he needs us to be and use us in the ways he needs to use us.